May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Jesus makes this statement at the end of our gospel reading. It's become a famous statement, a, a proverb. So the last will be first and the first last. The last will be first and the first last. And of course, that's not what we usually see happening in our, our world. That's not generally how the world works. Generally, how the world works is the first are first and the last are last. And, uh, of course, we see that all the time. Um, every year after Thanksgiving is Black Friday, and we see people lining up to get into the store first. Some people even camp up camp overnight to get into the store first because they know the first are first and the last are last and they don't want to mess out at the airport you you see this principle working out uh, that the first are first don't you first class passengers get on the plane first <laughs> and then once they get onto the plane they get a premium experience i uh i had to look it up what it was like to travel first class <laughs> uh, one airline Here's, here's one airline describing first class. Uh, our first class seats have eight inches more leg room compared to the regular cabin seats. And uh, a 5.4 inch recline on the seat. And uh, you get an 11 inch wider screen on the, on the seat in front of you so you can enjoy your uh, entertainment more than the people in the cabin uh, area. So, you know, first class, you're more comfortable, better food, better amenities. That's the way the world works. The first are first, and the last are in the back. They're last. But Jesus says that's not how it is in the kingdom of God. Uh, And then he tells his parable to to give an example of how, not always, uh, how how this, this principle of the first our last and the last are first, works out in the, in the kingdom. And he tells this story of the laborers in the vineyard. The owner of a vineyard goes out. It seems like it must be harvest time. He needs a lot of workers. He goes out to the marketplace, and he hires some workers right at the beginning of the day. And uh, he agrees to pay them a day's wage, a denarius. And then throughout the day, he goes back to the marketplace, wearing a path, <laughs> from the field to the marketplace, back and forth, and he hires more workers throughout the day. And then even at the end of the day, he hires a crew at the 11th hour, just before the sun is beginning to set, just before quitting time. He hires the 11th hour crew. And then at the end of the day, he tells his foreman, now go out and give these workers their paychecks. And they start with the 11th hour crew. And um, I, I did some research and some math to figure out what would kind of be an equivalent of, of this in today's world. A, a general laborer would be, uh, for working about 10 to 11 hours, a general laborer in construction today would get about $180 for a 10, 11 hour day. Well, this 11th hour crew had only been working for an hour. They get a whole denarius. They get the equivalent of, uh, of about $180. So you can imagine that the crew that showed up at the beginning of the day, they're starting to do the calculation in their mind. When they see 
this guy has a paycheck for a whole day's worth of work. Well, I must be, you know, this must be the day that my ship comes in. You know, if he gets $180 an hour, I've been here for 10, 11 hours. Maybe I'll get over $1,000. Maybe I'll get $1,800. Well, they open up their envelope, and they're stunned because it's the same exact. It's the same exact amount. Everybody gets, gets the same. And Jesus says, on receiving it, they grumbled. They grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these guys... They only worked an hour. We've been here all day, crack of dawn. We've been in the, in the, the heat of the sun. And, uh, and, and it's, it's, not, it's not fair that you, they didn't explicitly say this, but underneath the protest is this idea, it's not fair. You know, this is a, a phrase that I hear probably every week in the Wagner household. I just heard it yesterday. It's not fair, Dad. So, um, you know, they say, you've made us equal to them. Well, the owner replies, verse 15, which is, I think, the key to this parable. This is the point I think Jesus is really wanting to drive home to his disciples and to us. He says, uh, am, am I not allowed, the owner says, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? That's the key I think, of this, of this parable. See what Jesus is teaching the disciples? God is the owner of the vineyard, his kingdom, and God is free to dispense his grace and his blessing on anybody he wants in whatever measure he wants. And I think in the context of where the disciples were and what was going on with the ministry of Jesus, he's, he's alluding to, you know, Jesus is calling people who... Jews thought were kind of the last, the Gentiles and the tax collectors and the sinners and the prostitutes, and God is showing grace to them, and they're invited into the kingdom, invited to share in the blessing of God. Well, Jesus is warning here against begrudging God's generosity, or do you begrudge my generosity, the vine owner asked. Another way to translate it, maybe more clear, is are you envious of my generosity are you envious of my generosity or even more literally this is closer to the greek is do you have an evil eye because of my generosity are you looking at my generosity through an evil sinful perspective and i wonder if anybody here can relate to that seeing the blessing of god on another person and being envious not celebrating with that person but being envious of the blessing that god has given to them I remember when I was in college, um, my first year in college, my freshman year in college, I was a Bible major, and I did pretty well that very first year in the, bio, in the biblical studies department. Not so good when it com- comes to math and science. That's another story. But when it came to Bible, philosophy, English, the humanities, I did pretty good. And in fact, I won this uh, little award for best essay by a Bible student uh, in my class. And that really incentivized me to work even harder. Well, at, at, at the end of the year, they had in the Bible department an award for best student in biblical studies. And I thought, I'm probably going to get that award. You know, I actually kind of had it rehearsed in my mind hearing the best award for biblical studies goes to Ben Wagner. You know, 
And I hadn't rehearsed a speech or anything, but I, I had, in my mind, thought that's what I'm going to hear at this award ceremony. <laughs> uh, didn't happen that way. The best student of the year in biblical studies goes to Brian. Brian Crandall was, I think, his name, or Cram, Cramner or something like that. I don't remember his last name, but I remember his first name. And I remember seeing him, I still remember seeing him walk down the aisle to receive the award that I thought I was due. And, uh, well, I was looking upon him with this evil eye, an eye of envy. And I was not happy with just my measly prize for the best essay for a freshman. I think that's the kind of thing that Jesus is warning about here. That's, that's the attitude, begrudging God's blessing of other people. When we see people who are blessed by God, their abilities, their talent, when we see ministries being blessed by God, when we see God blessing other churches, we have to watch out for that kind of attitude of being envious. When we see somebody receive the blessing of salvation and they've come to Christ at the 11th hour, just before they depart from this life. And here we've been serving Christ for decades. We've been sacrificing for Christ. And we've known Christ all of our, our life maybe. And, and we see somebody who just sneaks in at the 11th hour. Got to watch that attitude. And be careful that we're not begrudging God's generosity. He has the right to make the first last and the last first. The grumbling workers wanted the owner to operate by strict fairness. You're treating them equal to us, and the implication is that's just not fair. But the owner said, wait a second, it is fair. I paid you the wage we agreed to. Your problem is that you're envious of my generosity. And friends, if we understand, really, the depth of our sin against God, the way that we break his laws, the way that we have rebelled against him, the way that we have hurt other people, people made in his image, if we really understand our sin, then we don't want God to be fair to us. We need God to be gracious to us. Because in a sense, we're all the 11th hour workers. We're getting in Christ more than we deserve. What we're getting is the generosity of a loving God in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, God pours his blessing upon us, his grace upon us. The forgiveness of our sins. Redemption through the blood of Christ. The, the hope of everlasting life. All this is, is more than we deserve. So it's not by works, but by grace that we're saved. And that's not the way that religion as usual works. Religion as usual works is I merit what I work for. And of course, Christianity is you're saved by grace, not through works. And the goodness of God has been revealed in Jesus Christ, his son. So this does turn things upside down. This is God's way, though. He reverses the normal order of things. And then I wanted to touch on something that's not in your reading, but as the chapter unfolds, Matthew 20, it's an important chapter because Jesus is heading into Jerusalem. And he's, he's, he's getting ready to begin the work that, that he was given to do, to die and to be savior of the world. And this principle, I wanted to connect this principle, the first will be last and the last will be first with what happens later on in this chapter. Because in this chapter, 
Jesus talks about his own ministry, how this principle first will be last and last will be first applies to his ministry and then how it applies to the disciples' ministry. I just want to touch on that before we conclude. Well, as Jesus goes into Jerusalem, he says to his disciples, as they near Jerusalem rather, he tells his disciples, the Son of Man is going into Jerusalem. And the Son of Man is a a messianic term. So the Messiah, the King, is coming into Jerusalem and he's going to be condemned, delivered over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. Now, of course, the disciples, when they thought about the king of Israel, they thought the king of Israel would be given the first-class royal treatment when he came into Jerusalem. But Jesus says that's not how it's going to be. The Son of Man is going to be handed over by the Gentiles, the Roman rulers, and mocked and flogged and crucified. The Son of Man, the Messiah, is going to be treated as the last, as a condemned criminal. But then a reversal is coming because he says, and he will rise up or he will be raised on the third day. The last will be made first. The son who was crucified is going to be raised on the last day. The son who is treated so horribly becomes the Lord and Savior of the world. The last will be first. That's what's going on in my ministry, Jesus says. And then he shares with them about their ministry. And, of course, we can apply this to our life and ministry as well. <laughs> as, he, as he goes into Jerusalem, the mother of the sons of Zebedee come up to Jesus. And uh, this is a mother concerned for her son's future. And here comes the king. And he's getting ready to wrap up his campaign as he comes into Jerusalem. <laughs> And so this, this mother is going to see if she can help her sons out a little bit. And she comes to G- Jesus and she falls on her knees. And she says, she says, essentially, you know, Jesus, when you get into office, I would like one of my sons to be your vice president and, and the other son to be the secretary of state. You know, Can one be on the right hand and the other on your left? And uh, the, the disciples, when they hear this, it says they became indignant. Because they were thinking about their position in the new cabinet. And they didn't like that the sons of Zebedee's mom, James and John, had, had interfered like this. And it's so ironic because Jesus has just told them he's going to suffer. I mean, it's like his words have just gone in one ear and, and out the other. And uh, he's just predicted his passion, and here they are concerned about their position. And Jesus makes it a teachable moment. He says, you know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Their great ones exercise authority over them. The rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And the great ones exercise authority over them. That's how it works in the world. I mean, we see it all the time. People in power, they might start off with good intentions, but oftentimes what we see is, is then... The power corrupts, and and really their main concern is to stay in power and begin to use power for themselves. They begin to to use their power to prop themselves up in their pride or impose their will or stay on top of the heap. Not in every case, but oftentimes that's what happens. And that happened in Jesus' day. The Gentile rulers lorded over them. 
But he says, that's not how it's to be with you. It's not how it works in the kingdom of God. That's not how I want you to exercise your authority, your power. He says, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. You see the principle? If you want to be first in the kingdom of God, be last. Be a servant to others. Serve others out of love. That's greatness in the kingdom of God. That's what we're called to do. And I like what Martin Luther King Jr. in one of his sermons talked about this. He said, you know, everybody can be great in the kingdom of God because everybody can serve. And he said, you don't have to know Plato and Aristotle to be great in the kingdom of God. You don't have to understand Einstein's theory of relativity, he said, to be great in the kingdom of God. You just need a heart. This is a quote from Martin Luther King Jr., You only need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love to be great in the kingdom of God. This idea that I serve others out of love because God has shown great love to me. I am gracious to others because God has been so gracious to me. This this idea is consistent with... uh, an an essential sort of stream in our Anglican tradition, which is the Reformation, consistent with Reformation theology. This is the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. That's why I'm bringing this up. And I heard a summary by a man named Ashley Knoll of Protestant Reformation theology, and I found it. What's that? Yeah, Ashley. You know Ashley? (laughs) Well, here's what Ashley said, Mike. You'll appreciate this. Listen to this. Grace produces gratitude. Gratitude produces love. Love produces repentance. Repentance produces good works. And good works produces a better society. Here, and then makes one fit for one's place in heaven. Let's say that again. Let's repeat that. Grace produces gratitude. Gratitude produces love. Love produces repentance. Repentance produces good works. Good works produces a better society and makes one fit for heaven. And I think that's what we see, the trajectory here in this chapter. We're all the 11th hour workers in a sense. We need more than, we, we need more than what we deserve. We need the grace and generosity of God. He gives it to us in Jesus Christ. And then we're called to follow Christ in the way of sacrificial service for the sake of others. All of us can be great in this kingdom as we serve others in love. That's the strength, I think, of our church. I think it's the strength that we can build on. You know, as I hear throughout the week and I see what you all do in terms of acts of love and kindness in this congregation, the way you check in on one another, the way that you send cards or or visit one another, the help that you offer, the money you give, the time you volunteer, all these are acts of sacrificial love that really strengthen the bonds of the church, the bonds of love in the church. And I think that is such a witness to a world that is becoming increasingly hostile and cynical to the church. Now, I think that as we strengthen our sacrificial love towards one another and towards others, even outside the walls of this church, I think people recognize that this is different. There's something of an upside-down value system here with the people of God. That's what we should be embodying. A congregation filled with people who love, 
one another because we follow the risen Lord who out of love for us gave his life and has poured upon us now this wonderful grace upon grace. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you that, um, that you have been gracious to us, giving us far more than we deserve. We don't want you to give us what we deserve. We are so grateful that you have given us your abundant grace in Jesus Christ. And we um, ask that you would help us to grow in a deeper way, to follow your example, Lord Jesus, of sacrificial love for the sake of others. We acknowledge that we often fail in this, but we thank you for the work that you are doing in our life to make us more and more like Christ, what you're doing in this community to help us grow in this way. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.